It's good to be with you again. A good speech has a way of turning us inside out, doesn't it? When a good speech happens at church, we call it a sermon. A good sermon has a way of changing the world, of changing our lives, of turning us inside out in ways that we will never be the same. We believe in the power of words. We believe in the power of the proclaimed word. Especially the proclaimed word of God that when the word of God is spoken, it's unleashed to do its life-changing, world-changing thing among us. Yeah, a good speech can turn us inside out. One of the most famous ones in our country happened on a hot summer day in August in 1963. As 250,000 people gathered to march on Washington in search of civil rights. Martin Luther King Jr. would stand up that day and give his famous I have a dream speech. The night before, he began to work on that speech and was, had been on the road, was tired, trying to pencil some lines for the next day. And he had his aides working on it And they would bring lines to him. And then he would kind of try to to work with those and adjust those. As as one of his speechwriters, Clarence Jones, said, said, Martin was an interior designer. I would deliver four strong walls, and he would use his God-given abilities to furnish the place so it felt like home. Well, as Martin wrote draft after draft, trying to get just the right words For his speech, one of his aides, Wyatt Walker, said, just don't give him the I have a dream stuff. You've already done that in Detroit. You did that in Chicago. It was effective enough, but it's trite now. It's cliche. Whatever you do, don't go with the I have a dream stuff, Martin. So Martin worked until 4 a.m., on his speech. And when he finished, none of that I have a dream stuff was in there. And the next day he went out to the march. And the organizer of the march had told every speaker, you get a maximum of five minutes. If you've ever tried to limit the time of a speaker, you know that less than 1% sticks to the allotted amount of time. Martin was 16th in order to speak, and every single speaker had gone over time. There were also some musical acts thrown in there, some prayers. The day dragged on and on and on in 90-degree heat. And really, there wasn't much left after him but just one more song and a benediction. 
If you've ever been to church, you know people are checking out by that point. He was up against a tough task. As Norman Mailer said, there was an air of subtle depression over the crowd, of wistful apathy, which existed in many. And so King arises to the podium. He starts slowly. He sticks close to his prepared text. John Lewis, who was a leader of the student wing of the movement, said, I'd heard Martin before. And he was good enough that day, but it wasn't his best. As he moved towards his final words, it seemed that he too could sense that he was falling short. He hadn't locked into that power that he so often found when he spoke. And so King begins to wind up his speech. Go back to Mississippi. Go back to Alabama. Go back to South Carolina. Go back to Georgia. Go back to Louisiana. And then from behind him, gospel singer Mahalia Jackson, who had sung earlier in the day, cried out, Tell him about the dream, Martin. And he continues, Go back to the slums and ghettos of our northern cities, knowing that somehow this situation can and will be changed. And again, Jackson shouts out, Tell him about the dream. Let's watch what happens next. I am not my unmindful that some of you have come here out of great trials and tribulations. Some of you have come fresh from narrow jail cells. Some of you have come from areas where your quest for freedom left you battered by the storms of persecution and staggered by the winds of police brutality. You have been the veterans of creative suffering. Continue to work with the faith that unearned suffering is redemptive. Go back to Mississippi. Go back to Alabama, go back to South Carolina, go back to Georgia, go back to Louisiana, go back to the slums and ghettos of our northern cities. Knowing that somehow this situation can and will be changed, let us not wallow in the valley of despair. I say to you today, my friend, So even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal.
I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day down in Alabama with its vicious racists, with its governor, having his lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification. Yeah. One day right there in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted. Every hill and mountain shall be made low, the rough places will be made plain, and the crooked places will be made straight, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. This is our hope. This is the faith that I go back to the South with. With this faith, we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. This will be the day. This will be the day with all of God's children be able to sing with new meaning my country tears of thee sweet land of liberty of thee i sing land where my fathers died land of the pilgrims pride from every mountainside let freedom ring and if america is to be a great nation this must become true and so let freedom ring from the prodigious hilltops of new hampshire let freedom ring from the mighty mountains of New York. Let freedom ring from the heightening Alleghenies of Pennsylvania. Let freedom ring from the snow-capped Rockies of Colorado. Let freedom ring from the curvaceous slopes of California. But not only that, let freedom ring from Stone Mountain of Georgia. Let freedom ring from Lookout Mountain of Tennessee. Let freedom ring from every hill and mole hill of Mississippi, from every mountainside. Let freedom ring, and when this happens, and when we allow freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state, 
in every city. We will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. That's good stuff right there. That entire cadence of I had a dream is not in the original draft of the speech. When he started into that, White Walker dropped a cuss word and said, oh no, the I have a dream stuff. But Clarence Jones looked over to the person next to him and said, these folks don't know it, but they're getting ready to go to church. Preaching has a way of turning us inside out, of changing us, of changing our world. When you hear the I have a dream speech, you can catch a vision of the dream. You can hear freedom ring from New York to the snow-capped mountains of Colorado to Lookout Mountain of Tennessee. You can see Little black boys and little black girls holding hands with little white boys and little white girls. You can see God's preferred future. Countless times, I get a little choked up when I drop my kids off to school in North Garland. At a school that's like the United Nations. Where my kids hold hands and play with children from every nation. And every single one of them is colorblind. And I think back to my childhood in East Texas where they don't know the Civil War's over yet. And I thank God that somebody caught a vision of the dream. with this notion of the power of preaching that I'm reminded of the story of the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2. At the beginning of Acts, the followers of Jesus are sitting around and waiting. Following Christ's resurrection and ascension, they're told to wait. Wait, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and be poured out upon you. And we see that come to pass. On the day of Pentecost, when Jews from all over have come to Jerusalem on pilgrimage, and on that day, the text says, the Spirit of God is poured out upon this group of Galileans. And all of a sudden, they can speak the native tongues of all these folks from other countries. It would be like, like a group of American soccer fans in Brazil at the World Cup all of a sudden being able to speak every other language for every other nation represented at the World Cup. This is an amazing display, and folks are really curious, and some want to know, is this magic? And others think, what have they been drinking? And Peter stands up to say, it's not what you think. These folks aren't intoxicated. They're not filled with spirits. They're filled with the spirit. 
And this is a moment of fulfillment. Long ago, the prophet Joel spoke to God's people as they looked out upon their ravaged land. All of their crops, all of their livelihood had been destroyed by an army of locusts. And in the book of Joel, they're talked about as God's army, bringing about God's judgment and condemnation on an unfaithful people. But then Joel says, look, that's never the end of the story. God is always about restoration and redemption and new life. And a day is coming when God's Spirit will be poured out on all people. And your young men and women will have visions. And your old men and women will dream dreams. And even on your slaves, male and female, the Spirit of God will be poured out. And Peter says, that's what's going on today. Today, the words of Joel are being fulfilled. And God's people are filled with God's Spirit. To proclaim the good news and to participate in God's dream. For creation. People are moved by this speech, by Peter's sermon, and they say, well, what, what can we do? And Peter goes outside and looks on the church van and sees Acts 2.38 there and says, here's what you can do. I've got a bumper sticker for you. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. Turn your lives towards God. Make this your story. You can join in this day of fulfillment too. And from there, the church is born and the kingdom of God begins to take territory throughout the land. Preaching can change the world. And I know you folks have been searching for a preacher. A little over a year ago, I got a phone call from this guy named Colin Packer. Colin's a friend of mine. He had had a faithful ministry in Colorado, had been there about three times longer than most preachers are at their first gig. That, that first preaching ministry is often an unintentional interim. You grow each other up and then you got to go. But it's a sign of his maturity and his wisdom that he's been there a long time. But he sensed that God was calling him to a new season of ministry, to a new context of ministry, and he was in conversations with a couple of churches. But neither option felt like the call he was looking for. And I just suggested to him, hey, Maybe neither of those options are the one. Maybe you just need to be patient and wait a little bit. And I actually said, because you never know, I mean, there's churches like Greenville Oaks that I could see being a good fit for you down the road. And they're going to be looking to make a transition before long. 
What if something like that came open? So I'll tell you what I tell my staff. If this goes really well, blame the search committee. But for whatever reason it doesn't, you can blame me. But I'm confident it's going to go well. But I had a, a hunch, a sense, that this could be a good fit. That Colin could be who you were searching for. And you could be who he was searching for. And I was asked to just kind of give some of my impressions of him. Colin is one of the most gifted, capable young ministers I know. He has a deep, deep love for God and for God's people. He has a strong belief that God has a future. And that's really important in this day and age. I know a lot of churches and a lot of ministers that function only in nostalgia of days gone by as though God had a past and then died somewhere. And so the church becomes a museum where you clean the glass so everybody can look at all of the, the history of what used to be. Colin didn't go into ministry to be a curator at a museum. He doesn't wake up with this passion in his, in fire in his belly given him by God to just maintain the status quo or maybe reclaim days gone by. No, he believes God has a future, that God's out in front of us and that God's doing big things in the world. And that in fact, maybe the glory days have not yet come. Because the kingdom has not fully come. But he's longing to be a part of God's kingdom come and God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. And my read on you as a church is that's pretty much your story too. There's a healthy discontent here. A, a desire to be out in the world, out in the community, out in God's future, not just to hold on to the past. And so I think this can be a great marriage and a great fit. Because I trust Colin's understanding of who God is. He has a healthy theology about what God is doing in the world and he has a deep, deep love for the church. And he thinks the church still has an important role in the work that God is doing in the world. So I think this is going to be a good fit. And I'm excited that you have your preacher. But the one question I want to make sure we ask ourselves today is, okay, now we have our preacher, but do we have a dream? Because you see, the power of God's Spirit in work, at work in Acts isn't isolated to preaching. In fact, the power of preaching comes in describing the work of God in the world and among God's people. 
The Spirit is poured out on all of us, and then the preacher gives language to that and interprets that and casts that as a vision. The Spirit just doesn't come down on the preacher who then somehow tries to infuse it into the people of God. No, Peter responds to what God has done in the people of God. But the work of God is among the people of God. The best sermon that gets preached week in and week out doesn't come from the pulpit. It's what's lived out in the lives of God's people. But the person who becomes the mouthpiece up here is the keeper of the dream. And is the one that calls us to continue to dream the dreams of God. And to be faithful to God's dream for the world. And I know Colin will be faithful to that task because I know he understands that God has a dream. God has a dream for restored and redeemed lives. God has a dream for restoring our cities and our communities. God has a dream for restoring all creation to be what God created it to be. God has a dream. God has a dream for the future in which all people from all nations live together in peace and join together in worship to their one creator. God has a dream that will catch the imagination of 15-year-olds and will stir the hearts of 85-year-olds. God has a dream God has a dream that all people will become new creations in Christ Jesus. God has a dream that we will love one another as God has loved us. And so as the people of God, we are called to have a dream too. Years ago, a man named Robert Dale wrote a book for churches called To Dream Again. And he described the life cycle of a church. Just like human beings, every church has a moment of birth where it is started, it is launched, it begins. And after birth, it goes through an infancy and a childhood and it tries to kind of get its resources and grow itself and come to a place of adulthood and maturity. And eventually in its life cycle, a church reaches maturity and maximum functioning and it has its, its most effective days in ministry. And then he says, at that point of maturity and peak functioning, it's time for churches to dream again. Because if you don't, you begin the process of decline. And it's, it can be a long, long process. And a lot of churches don't know they're in it. And it may be 80 years of decline before a church dies. But once you quit operating out of the dream and move to maintenance and survival, when all your meetings are about how can we maintain what we've had, when you start new ministries to try to fix a problem or to try to solve a, a limitation, when you hire staff hoping to fix what's broken, when you begin to operate out of that mindset, you're not living out the dream. You're reacting to decline. 
You're headed towards death. And Dale says churches have just two options. You can dream or you can die. Your choice, what's it going to be? And so he says if churches will dream again, they continue to stay on that young side of the ark, to move towards maturity, they they continue to go through revitalization. Churches have to continually be infused with new life, have to continually be revitalized, or they will die. And so he calls churches to dream again, to clearly articulate God's preferred future for the world and our participation in it and to pursue with laser-like focus that dream. And then when you launch or stop ministries, it's not to fix or to solve problems, it's to pursue the dream. And when you hire staff, it's to live out the dream. And when you plant a church, it's to fulfill the dream. And everything you do is fueled by a vision of what God's doing in the world. Church, do you have a dream? Do you have a dream today? I know you've got your preacher. But do you have a dream? God does. And I think you do too. And I think that's why he's bringing you and Colin together. Because the good old days haven't happened here yet. The best days are to come. Open yourself up for change. Embrace new life. Let yourself be revitalized. Have a dream. Because God sure does. Thank you.